We'll be talking about the impact of gun violence in this podcast. If this is a difficult topic for you, please take care when listening. After talking with Greg Barnes coach, Rudy Martin, I really wanted to find out more about Greg and his story. I only knew him through basketball, but his friend Landon knew him since he was a little kid. Well, I really appreciate you having me, Amy. And when I heard about this opportunity, I was excited and I quickly started going down memory lane and a smile came to face. My name is Amy Over. And this is Confronting Columbine. Landon, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Tell me something about Greg. Yeah, so Greg and my brother were the same age, so a year younger than myself, and they became best friends instantly in first grade. And any of us that know Greg know how talented of an athlete he was and how disciplined and committed he was. So he quickly found himself exceeding whatever the expectations at his age. And before you know it, he's playing up a year. So Greg and I got to play together ever since we were probably in third grade all the way up through high school. Did he challenge you a lot? When I think of work ethic, all these years later, still letting Greg inspire and motivate and push myself. And that was that was because of the work ethic and the discipline that he had from the time he was a very little kid. Did you know Greg's family well? Man, Greg's dad was like a second father to me growing up. And it's funny, he grew up in Pueblo, Greg's father did, as did my mom. So my mom was, oh, Mark Barnes was such an amazing athlete. So we had so much history. Do you remember meeting Greg for the first time? Well, (laughs) yeah, I've got so many stories, but we used to have sleepovers. I mean, literally almost every single weekend. And Greg did not have an ounce of body fat on him. So we called it the cherry popper because he would show us his bicep. And from the time he was little, this thing was vascular. I mean, it looked like something you'd see on a grown 30-year-old man who'd been training his whole life. And we'd put a little cherry tomato in between his forearm and his bicep, and he would squeeze it and pop the thing. And we thought it was the funniest and the coolest thing ever. So. He and my brother were up to antics all of the time. I always viewed myself, you know, I'm a year older, I'm more mature, I don't have time for that stuff. And they would just do whatever they could to get my blood going so that I'm chasing them around the house. And and those were our sleepovers. (laughs) That's funny. Oh, he was becoming such a well-known basketball player in the state of Colorado. And he was so humble and well-mannered. How do you remember him? (sighs) Quiet and reserved. Uh, off the court. I mean, like the kindest, most compassionate person, the biggest heart, but a wallflower. Like, don't let the spotlight be on me at all. Just let me go and serve others and do so quietly. I don't want the attention. Put him on the court and he was as tenacious as I'll get out. I mean, I'll never forget, like, watching my senior year, his junior year, him go between the legs, take somebody down the baseline and just slam on them. And I'm thinking, this is the same innocent kid that we would be trading sports cards and getting together and having sleepovers. And he's now cradling on the rim over somebody else's head. Like, and then you get him back off the court again. And he did not want any of the attention, any of that spotlight. It was back to just being the best student he could be in the classroom, the best friend he could be, the best son he could be, the best brother. There's something to this day that I admire so much about him being able to juggle and manage both so well on and off the court. 
So it sounds like you guys had a blast playing together. We, we traveled everywhere together. I mean, that was the, the most fun part, staying in hotels as kids and being a part of a traveling competitive team. And you asked us what our favorite TV show was. I don't think any of us knew anything outside of ESPN. And he was super close to your little brother. I remember walking in through the front door and again, teenage boys, so I'm, I'm giving them a hard time because as I walk in the door, both of their belts are on the ground. And I'm like, oh, what are you two in here doing? Well, they had taken them off so they could slide on their bellies down the stairs to the basement and they were cracking up. I'm when you talk about Greg Barnes, and even my brother for that matter, like the innocence was unbelievable because he could be a 13 year old, but have the innocence of like a seven year old. And it was the simplest things that would get a rise out of Greg. I'll never forget going jet skiing with him and him being scared to death he's gonna get injured on the jet ski so he couldn't go play basketball and us pulling down his pants and he doesn't want to let go so he's just got his little bony cheeks bouncing across the back <laughs> of the jet ski hanging on for dear life so he doesn't get injured and can't play basketball. I love it. That's so awesome. I can only hope that my son has an experience like what you guys had. Greg went through a lot on April 20th, 1999. He was stuck in the room with Dave Sanders for hours. Did he ever talk to you about like the struggles of that day? Yeah, I mean, shoot, Amy, you and I both know what the next few weeks look like, right? It was, it was funeral after funeral, and I felt like the sun didn't come out for those next three weeks. And then as you start to try to process what does life look like moving forward, and we found ourselves right back in the thick of it, with Summer League and, and preparing for that next year. Here we are, best friends, and wanting to do the same things we had done our entire life and always taken for granted. And 4th of July rolls around. Greg wants nothing to do with being social. He doesn't want the sound of the fireworks. He doesn't want the smell of the fireworks. He wanted to completely be left alone to do his own thing, to process everything that he was still going through due to everything he'd been exposed to on April 20th. And, and you're right, I mean, he was right there up close and in person with some of the most just raw, rawness. He tried to save Dave's life. Yeah, for hours. Not knowing what anything else looked like outside of that classroom, there was one focus and that was to try to save a life. That forever haunted him. What do you think was going on through Greg's mind? Just knowing Greg and who, who he was there was always so much humility and so much gratitude. And I think his outlet was basketball. So everything that he didn't know how to process in his mind or emotionally, he took to the court and that at least provided some relief for the short term. And I also think it's what drove him to take his game to another level because he realized that he had been afforded an opportunity to see another day and to put his best foot forward when others couldn't. And so I think it catapulted the dedication and, and the commitment, but deep, deep down, there was still the unknown as to how long is are these feelings gonna last? How long am I gonna struggle with some of this stuff? Who else would even understand? And so when you're put on a pedestal and you're expected to always just have things figured out and to always get good grades and to always have an amazing game and to always be an amazing friend, you become hardwired where you accept nothing less than perfection. And this was the first time that Greg didn't have all the answers, but he also didn't necessarily know who he could talk to openly without any kind of judgment or without making himself look weak. Right. That's so insightful, Landon. 
These are epiphanies that I've had as I've gotten older and can't help but continue to find myself in his shoes and just knowing him so well as to how he was probably trying to work through some of this. Some of it has gotten more clear as time has passed and as, you know, we, we both know that wisdom comes from experience and from time. And as you get a little bit older, you start to have a little bit different perspective and I've appreciated more so as to what, what he was going through and what he was facing on his own. Did anyone get the sense that he was like anxious or depressed or? On the front, like, you know, in that moment, no. I don't think a lot of us gave the credit that it probably was warranted for truly how much he had gone through and what he was still trying to, to handle on his own. But as you look back on it, you know, I just, you can't help but ask yourself, what else, what could we have done more of? And it's hard because the dynamic at that time, Greg's life, so much of it was, it was the classroom and it was on the court. And so when we would come back to basketball, boom, that would connect us all again. But when we would leave the practice or leave a game, you kind of go out and you do your own life. That's where I just wonder how much he got in his own head and, and what was he truly struggling with when he didn't have this community of fellow brothers that had been there his entire upbringing. How alone and alienated did he really feel? Yeah. And then my goodness, to get the news that day of what had happened to Greg, it rocked me to my core. And it hit me on a level that I had never experienced before because it was so personal. Those of us that considered Greg, he was as close as blood. And, and to know that he was struggling and didn't feel comfortable sharing any of that with us, that's not an easy pill to swallow for any of us that thought we were so close to him. Not thought, we knew. I can't imagine what, what you guys went through on, on top of trying to navigate being a, a mass trauma survivor on top of it. And you know, you were a senior the next year so what was it like for you going back to school? Going back to school, I think, was, was really, it was therapy. We got to go back and work through it with everybody that could relate to everything we had just gone through. So you face your fears. And we cut the ribbon and we march back into the school and we reclaim it as ours. And I mean, Amy, I wish so badly that your class could have been a part of that because we were thick as thieves. And so a year after the shootings, as I'm now graduating and heading off to college, I'm in a much different place than somebody like yourself that was just tossed out to the world and said, deal with this on your own, best of luck. If you had the opportunity, what would you want to tell Greg? First would be, I love you. You, you, forever, you forever shaped my life. I miss you so much. Thank you for leaving such an everlasting impact on my life. I mean, half, <clears throat> half of my drive today was instilled by Greg. Anytime that I ask myself if I'm giving my all, if I'm gonna be the best at this, I got to see firsthand what being the best at something looks like. That was Greg on the court and it didn't happen overnight. I mean, he was never the biggest and strongest or fastest growing up, but he outworked everybody. I look at the humility in which he operated. It's the kind of father I want to be, a humble one that leads by example. I love his family and I love him and I always will. You guys had just a, an amazing bond, Landon. 
Thank you, and thank you for doing this. And I really appreciate Greg's story finding its way into this podcast. It needed to be said. Yeah, an amazing human with an amazing story. For more information on The Rebels Project or to donate, please go to therebelsproject.org and see me there. Want to know more about the Confronting Podcast? Please follow us at Confronting Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for photos, additional content, and discussions about the podcast. We are all confronting something, and I look forward to continuing the discussion from our episodes over social media with all of you. If you enjoyed this one, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for going on this journey with me. Confronting Columbine was produced and hosted by me, Amy Over. Executive produced by Nancy Glass, Andrea Gunning, Ben Fetterman, and Carrie Hartman. Produced by Julie Clark. Associate producer, Trey Morgan. Editing by senior audio editor, Matt Delvecchio. Editor, Drew Wallace and Dean Welsh. With production assistance from Megan Paisley and Brianna Fars. Other members of the production team include Kristen Melchiori, Pete Ward, and Natalie Thomas. Music and original composition by Mibe Music. Confronting Columbine was produced by Glass Entertainment Group, Glass Podcasts in partnership with Wondery. <laughs>